Well, every relationship has conflict, right? Whether you are married or not, every relationship has conflict, or I'll use a more powerful word, every marriage fights. Now, I know we got some dude here today, and you're thinking, man, in our marriage, we have never fought, to which I would say to you, congratulations on being married yesterday. It's an odd place for a honeymoon, I have to say. Every relationship has conflict. Every marriage fights. If you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis. I'm the lead pastor here. So glad uh, that you're with us today. Uh, for those of you joining us on video as well, I want to say hello to you, whether you're in the building today or online sometime labor, uh, later. We're glad you're with us too. And for everyone who is here, thank you so much uh, for choosing to spend some time with us as we're in week number four of a five-week sermon series on relationships called It Takes Two. If you've not been here for every sermon, I would encourage you to jump onto our website to watch uh, the ones you've missed or to download the podcast and listen to those as well. In the series, we are walking through the Old Testament book of the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. Depends how it's portrayed in your Bible. It's the same book. And in that book, there is some beautiful poetic language that God uses through the writer, the author Solomon, to give us a glimpse into the life of this young couple. And we have followed this couple from attraction into dating, where they focused on becoming the right person more than finding the right person. Then we saw a lens into their courtship and their engagement and how they practiced before they were married the most important things that would prepare them for marriage. Then last week, my favorite Sunday of the series, uh, we looked at this couple's wedding night, their wedding and wedding night. And we looked at God's design for sex. And we asked the question, what is the secret to great sex? And somebody's already writing down to go back and watch uh, that one. Next week, the last week of the series, we're going to look at some important principles, not just for a marriage that lasts, but for a marriage that thrives for a lifetime. I don't know about you. I don't just want my marriage to last I want my marriage to thrive for a lifetime. So we're gonna look at that uh, next week. And really, if we want to have a marriage that thrives, then we better learn how to face conflict. We've got to learn how to fight and fight fair in our relationships because conflict is coming. Tommy Nelson, in his book, The Book of Romance, I've told you I'm, I'm leaning heavily on that book uh, for preparation of every sermon in this series. If you're looking for a book that kind of dives into the details of the Song of Solomon, pick up The Book of Romance. I believe we still have some out at the store, and uh, it's been a great help for me. But Tommy says this in The Book of Romance. <clears throat> All couples fight. Good couples fight clean, bad couples fight dirty. Good couples press to resolution, bad couples press for a victory. Good couples, when they fight, it exposes their good character. A bad couple, when they fight, it exposes their immaturity. And some of us are already squirming in our seats. I can just sense it in the room. Craig Rochelle, pastor of Life Church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, he wrote a, a great book as well called From This Day Forward. It's also out at the store. It's the, one of the best books on marriage I've ever read. 
And uh, the premise of the book is that no matter what's happened in the past, from this day forward, I'm going to live out God's principles in my life. He said this about fighting in his book, all couples fight. It's inevitable, unavoidable, and inerrant in any relationship where true intimacy occurs. All couples fight, but healthy couples fight fair. Unhealthy couples fight dirty with below-the-belt jabs, sucker punches, angry accusations, and bitter grudges. Healthy couples fight for resolution. Unhealthy couples fight for personal victory. And church, I'd be lying if I said that I didn't struggle with that last statement right there, fighting for personal victory. Because I've told you before, I myself am a competitive, highly competitive person. If you're competitive, raise your hand. Yep, that person right there wanted to be first with their hand up because they want to be competitive. I won the competitive hand in the air contest. Like, I'm competitive person. So, so if I'm going to play a game, I'm not going to play unless I play to, to win. For me, there's no other reason to play a game other than trying to win. But people like my mom would say, well, we just want to play games for fun. And I tell her, it's the most fun when I win. To which my wife would say, I just want to play a game to spend time together. I said, I'm all, I'm all for spending time with you while I beat you in the game. I want to win. The problem is that competitive nature, it sinks, sneaks into conflict as well. Like when I'm in an, in an argument or conflict, I want to be right. It doesn't matter how trivial the argument is or how small the disagreement, I want to win and I want to prove my point in the process. No elbowing, by the way, during this message. <laughs> Isn't it amazing, it's amazing to me, looking at my own life, how this, this press for victory, this immaturity in our conflict can happen with the least most important parts of life. Like we can get into knockdown drag outs over the stupidest things in life. For instance, Q-tips and cotton swabs. I don't know. I don't know when this started to occur in our marriage. I told my wife I was sharing the story too, so I have permission to, sh I guess I didn't, I didn't ask. I told I was sharing the story. So I don't know, maybe I should have asked. I don't know when it started, but I started to notice that my wife, Sabrina, she would leave uh, Q-tips and those round facial cotton swabs on the corner of our counter in the bathroom, just leave them there and not throw them away. And it drove me up the wall. It drove me crazy because I could see the trash can from the counter. It was literally two steps away. I counted for my argument. And so I... One day, I knew how many it was, one day I go into the bathroom and there they are again, a couple of Q-tips and cotton swabs on the counter. My wife was in our bedroom, I'm in the master bathroom. I call to my wife, uh, hey, Samaria, do you need these things on the counter? To which she, you know, called back, no. I said, are you gonna reuse them? She said, no. So I said, well, why are they sitting on the counter? Like you're already in the bathroom, just throw them away while you're there. To which she said, Jeff, what does it matter? I'll eventually throw them away. I said, it matters because I can see the trash can from where you've placed them. Just throw them away. 
drove me crazy. So this conversation, this conflict now, goes on for days. And I'm trying to convince her that my way is the right way, which of course it is, but she, she would have none of it, none of it. So I walk into the bathroom another day, and sure enough, there it was. Q-tips and cotton swabs once again left on the corner of the counter. So I thought, I love my wife so much. I'm going to serve her in a very special way. So I did this. I just put the trash can from two steps away onto the counter where she leaves her Q-tips and cotton swabs. This, by the way, is what you call passive aggressive conflict resolution. (laughs) And it is not healthy, by the way. As you can imagine, this did not go very well for me. And it has not stopped her from putting Q-tips and cotton swabs on the counter. Here's my point to all of this. All that trouble, all that work, all that energy, all that conflict over what? Q-tips and cotton swabs. It's a small thing, right? And I know there's other conflict in our marriage and other marriages that are much bigger than that, but the reality is, the point is, all couples fight. Conflict is coming. And if we want to experience the joy and fulfillment of a marriage or any relationship for that matter, we've got to learn to face conflict. But this is more than just conflict resolution. In fact, I don't believe resolution should even be the first goal when it comes to facing conflict, and here's why. We will never have resolution unless we are first willing to face conflict resolutely. I'm wording it this way for the big idea, it's on the screens if you wanna write it down, that conflict resolution is only as strong as your willingness to face it resolutely. A conflict resolution, it's coming, is only as strong as your willingness to face it resolutely, to get to the end of the conflict. That in marriage, We will never truly learn to seek resolution unless we have resolved as a couple that resolution is the only answer, the only one. That if both parties agree, the title of the series, It Takes Two, if both parties agree that divorce is off the table in marriage, then when conflict comes, not if it comes, but when it comes, no matter how big or bad that conflict is, we are going to learn to resolve it because there is no other option but resolution. Now, if you're getting worried about what I'm gonna say about divorce, don't get too worried. I can't spend a lot of time on it because it's not the main topic for the day. I actually preached an entire message on marriage, divorce, and remarriage back in October of 2015 in a sermon series called Happily Never Happened. If you want to go back and listen to or watch that one, week number five of the sermon series Happily Never Happened in October 2015, did a whole message on it. I'm only going to spend a few moments here on it today by just, I want to challenge the married couples in the room and those who will be married with something my wife and I have done that I learned from my parents But I just want to challenge us with this. My wife and I have made the commitment to each other, and we've stuck to it, that we would never use the word divorce. It will never be spoken in our relationship. 
We have committed to never make divorce an option, not even as a joke or in the heat of an argument. Why don't we just get divorced? We chose not to do that, and here's why. The moment divorce becomes an option, the devil will be sure to provide an opportunity. The moment divorce becomes an option, the devil will be sure to provide an opportunity. And listen, please hear me. I understand how sensitive, how hurtful, how painful just the word divorce can be in this room. The hurt, the pain, the, 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 the scars that remain, I understand that, okay? But I think sometimes we are so quick in our conflicts to just throw in the towel that we don't allow God time to do what ultimately he desires to do, which is to rebuild, restore, redeem, and heal our broken relationships. Now, please hear me. I am not saying that anyone should remain in a relationship that's abusive or dangerous to you. I understand that in relationships, sometimes the conflict is so bad that you might need a season of separation just so there's a, a time of peace to come back to resolution. There are some couples in the room, you know you need to seek out professional counseling and please understand that is not a bad thing. That means you are trying to bring resolution to your relationship. And I also know for some couples in the room, it will be a long and hard and difficult road to restoration. I get all of that, okay? I understand that. And I am not saying that if you are divorced, there's no hope for you because the opposite is true. That if you are already divorced, God loves you, he's with you, he's for you, and he wants you to experience the fullness of life that only God can provide. And church, I have seen God rebuild people from the worst of betrayal and divorces. And I'm just saying, I fully believe there is is no relationship God can't heal, no marriage he can't mend, no situation he can't restore, and no broken heart he can't make whole again. That with me and Jesus, it takes two to make a thing go right. Amen? Amen? Conflict resolution is only as strong as your willingness to face it resolutely. So how do we face conflict? Conflict. Well, here's the big question we're going to ask. What must be, we be willing to do with conflict? What must we be willing to do with conflict? And if you're here, we're about to jump into the Bible here. If you're here, you don't believe in God, don't believe in, in the Bible. I, I love it that you're here. I actually think this is the best message out of all of these uh, for you to apply to your life because the three principles we're gonna see in this passage, you can apply right to your relationships whether you believe in God and his word or not. They are, they are unrelated to the scripture, but they tie into the scripture as well. So if you don't believe, you can apply these. I think it'll help you in your own conflict in relationships. We're gonna be in Song of Songs, chapter five, verse two, picking up right where we left off last week. We won't read every verse, but we're gonna cover all the way through chapter six, verse 13. It'll all be on the screens if you don't got your Bible with you. If you don't own a Bible, uh, we'll give you one for free. Ask for one at guest services. We'll give you a Bible free of charge. Here we go, Song of Songs, chapter five, verse two. The young woman here speaking says this. I slept, but my heart, that was her husband, was awake. When I heard my lover knocking and calling, 
Open to me, my treasure, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. My head is drenched with dew and my hair with the dampness of the night. So apparently this young man had come home from a long day's work and he wants to be with his wife. Tommy Nelson says perhaps he even wanted to be with his wife sexually in this moment, but she had locked him out of the room. So here he comes home, says, honey, I'm home, but she says this, but I responded, I've taken off my robe. Should I get dressed again? I've washed my feet. Should I get them soiled? Notice the tone of voice I add to the conversation. What was she saying? Here's what she was saying to her husband. I have a headache. I'm already in bed. I got my pajama pants on and not the ones I wear to Walmart, the ones with the holes in them. And I got a jar of peanut butter and some dark chocolate and a Hallmark movie ready to go. Leave me alone. It might be a little too close to home for us. I don't know. Now, it doesn't say this in the passage, but I believe this young man called out, what did I do? To which she said, you know what you did. And if you don't know, I'm more angry than before. You're laughing because you know it's true. So, so compare, compare this to the words they used and the interactions they had before they were married and in their wedding night. Like we've read almost every verse of this book so far. Remember, before they were married, this young lady practically begged to go Olivia Newton-John on this guy and let's get physical. Like they could, they could find nothing wrong in their relationship. The, the birds were singing. The flowers were, were, were blooming. They, they frolicked through the, the, the hills. The hills were alive with the sound of music. I mean, that was this story, right? That was the story we're reading. So, so what are we seeing here? This couple has conflict. They have conflict. Verses four and five says this, my lover, that's her husband, tried to unlatch the door and my heart thrilled within me. So all of a sudden, a change of heart. I jumped up to open the door, now she wants to open the door, for my love, and my hands dripped with perfume, my fingers dripped with lovely myrrh as I pulled back the bolt. Notice, the young man didn't storm in and start a fight. He didn't pound on the door and demand to be let in. He didn't start an argument. He just seems to simply leave something on the door because when she touched the door handle, something was now on her hands. And what was on her hands? Perfume and liquid myrrh. I did not know this until I started for this message, but it's interesting to note that in that culture, liquid myrrh was a romantic calling card, a valentine, if you will, that simply meant, I love you. I love you. So conflict resolution is only as strong as our willingness to face it resolutely. So what must we be willing to do with conflict? We're gonna spend most of our time or the majority of our time on this first one because it's the hardest. Number one is this, stop reacting. Stop reacting. Proverbs 15 verse one, Solomon the writer of Proverbs also says this, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Is that not true? One I'm trying to memorize, Proverbs 10 verse 19, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. (laughs) 
I could use that with the Q-tips and cotton swabs. James 1.19, understand this, dear brothers and sisters. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Don't we often reverse that entire process? We get angry first, then we speak, and if we get around to it, we might listen. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. The way to face conflict resolutely is when you are hurt and you're going to be. And when you're mistreated and when you're offended, you choose not to react. You stop reacting, which doesn't mean that you don't respond, by the way, because in conflict, we need to respond at some point. So I'm not saying that you should use the silent treatment with them as well, because all of us have someone in our life that the way they deal with conflict is they stuff it all inside and they won't talk to you for hours or days or sometimes weeks at a time. But then all of a sudden, like, boom, they snap out of it and it's like nothing ever happened and you never hear about it again, right? Now, don't be looking at anybody in the room because you might be sitting next to them in the room. But the silent treatment is just as dangerous as reacting because neither of them address the problem. And so this conflict just starts to drive people apart or you stuff it in inside. So we need to respond, okay, which is what the young man did. We'll see how he responded in a second. But the young man did not react. I think too often when it comes to conflict, we react in kind instead of responding in kindness. We react the way they came at us. That's reacting in kind. How they treated me, I'll treat them. But instead, we should respond in kindness. The Bible actually tells us that. Peter, one of the 12 disciples, wrote 1 Peter 3, verse 9, said this, Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Don't react in kind, he's saying. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God's called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. This is why I... This is where I believe so many marital problems begin. It starts with Q-tips and cotton swabs, but it ends with divorce lawyers and alimony. And why? Because we've been trained to react. And listen, reactions rarely lead to resolution because almost always our reactions are born from a selfish desire for restitution. I want them to feel my anger because I felt theirs. I want them to feel how it feels to be hurt and offended, so we, uh, we react the moment we are hurt. So go back to our main scripture. Why did the young man put myrrh on the door handle? Well, I think he was responding instead of reacting. By putting the liquid myrrh on the door handle, he was saying, I love you, I'm sorry, I forgive you, or will you forgive me? Which, by the way, in a marriage, the most powerful words you can ever use is, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Well, they never apologized to me. They've never said I'm sorry. They never asked me for forgiveness. And Jay, you don't even know what they did. Pastor Jeff, if you knew what they did, you're right. I don't know what they did. And it was probably horrible. I don't know what they did. And maybe they've never said I'm sorry. But isn't this how God treats us? 
Psalm 103 verse 10 say, about God says this, he does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve and praise God for that. So can I challenge us with something, me included, this week? That I want us this week, just for one week, to make it a point that we will treat our spouse the way we are expected by from God, not the way they've earned. Take spouse out. Put whatever relationship you want in there. That for one week, we would treat those we are in relationship with the way God expects us to, not the way they've earned. Can you imagine if we all started doing that in our marriages? The difference that would make in the workplace, in the classroom, among friends, on teams. If we just treated people the way God expects us to, not the way they may have I, I, I know that, that, you, that you might be here today and you're thinking, man, in our marriage, we can't even talk without reacting. We can't talk. And I get it. I mean, there's some marriages that you're, you need help. Can I, can I just give like a little practical tip to start talking? Like maybe you should actually schedule some time on your calendar. Schedule time to talk. Yes, schedule time on your calendar. You can schedule it for something else too. That was last week. Schedule time on your calendar, okay? <laughs> schedule time and go somewhere public to have a conversation. Go to Starbucks, go to the new Central Cafe, go to the new City Brew. I was there this week, it's got great space to sit down and have coffee. First of all, you should go to a coffee shop because all great conversations revolve around coffee. Second of all, you should go to a public place because it's awfully hard to react in public. You treat your spouse way differently behind your home door than you do behind Starbucks door. Now you might do the whisper yell like you got, you got kids, you've done the whisper yell before, right? But I can almost guarantee you, you won't yell at each other. You might actually be forced to have a conversation just by going to Starbucks. So conflict resolution is only as strong as your willingness to face it resolutely. So what must we be willing to do with conflict? Stop reacting. Hardest one, okay? Song of Songs 5, verse 6 now. Then we're going to jump to verse 10. The young woman says, I opened the door to my lover, but he was gone. My heart sank. I searched for him, but could not find him anywhere. I called to him, but there was no reply. So apparently his response opened up her heart to resolution. My lover, verse 10 says this, my lover's dark and dazzling, better than 10,000 others. His head, his finest gold, his wavy hair, is black as a raven. His eyes sparkle like doves beside springs of water. They are set like jewels washed in milk. His cheeks are like gardens of spices giving off fragrance. His lips are like lilies perfumed with myrrh. His arms are like rounded bars of gold. Are you taking notes, Sabrina? Here, okay. His arms are like rounded <laughs> bars of gold set with barrel. His body is like bright ivory glowing with lapis lazuli. His legs are like marble pillars set in sockets of finest gold. His posture, that's his character, the way he carries himself is stately like the noble cedars of Lebanon. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is desirable in every way. Such, O oh, women of Jerusalem, is my lover, my what? Friend. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. Like a moment ago, she was like, the door's locked. And now she can't say enough good things about her husband. 
So the second thing I see here from, from this young woman's words is this. Not only should we stop reacting, but number two is this. We've got to start recounting. Here's what I mean by that. Their conflict caused them to be separated. A wedge was driven between the two. But instead of allowing that wedge to drive them apart, she started recounting or remembering what she loved about her husband, and it drew her back to him. She listed off all these things she loves about him and her heart was drawn back. Typically in marriage, in relationships, I know I'm this way, we are masters at recounting or remembering everything our spouse has done wrong in the past, right? Like I can't remember sometimes that I was supposed to, you know, start the laundry, but it's amazing how quickly we can remember what our spouse did three years ago on March 18th at 3 p.m. standing right there with the red blouse on, right? We're guilty of that. We can just call up offenses in a moment from four, five, six years ago. 1 Corinthians 13, verse five, speaking about love, says this, it, love, does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. Hello. It's easy to think of wrong things, right? So, why do you think the enemy reminds us so quickly of what our spouse did wrong? I think it's because when we focus on the wrong things in our relationship, we start to believe the actual relationship is wrong. And we start looking for a way out. So this is so important to understand. Okay, so important. Just because something is wrong in your relationship does not mean that relationship is wrong. It might just mean you need to work on the wrong thing that's there. I think sometimes we're so quick to see all the wrong things that we don't take time to recount what's right. And when you recount what's right, it leads you to work on resolution. And I know this is more difficult the longer you are, remain in an unhealthy relationship. I know how difficult this can be when you've already brought up divorce as an option. But this is why you can't react. Because we have to stop for a moment. And if we just stop for a moment, it wouldn't take long to find at least one good thing or one right thing about that person or about our relationship. And I would challenge you today, if you're married today, I would challenge you, before the day is over, think of one thing you love about your spouse and tell them. One thing. Text it to them. Write it in a note. Put it on their pillow. Send them a card in the mail. I don't care what it is, but think of one thing. And you're thinking, well, they're just gonna say, I did it because Pastor Jeff said so. I don't care. Do it anyway. It's not for them, it's for you to think of one good thing, one right thing. And here's why we've got to write these things down and share them. Because we need anchors in our relationship. And good things are anchors. You, I remember that good thing, and that good thing, and that good thing. So that when the boat starts to drift, that chain burr, catches on an anchor of, oh yeah, I love that about them. One good thing. You might think, I'll have to think a long way back. I don't care, go back to your wedding day if you have to. But find something good in your relationship and start putting anchors in the water of conflict. Conflict resolution is only as strong as you're willing to face it resolutely. 
So what must we be willing to do with conflict? Stop reacting, start recounting, and then Song of Solomon 6, verse 2 through verse 9, the young woman speaking. My lover has gone down to his garden. I won't remind you what the garden is from last week, but he's gone there to his spice beds to browse in the gardens and gather the lilies. I am my lover's and my lover is mine. He browses among the lilies. So this couple has now entered into a makeup party and not the kind you put on your face, if you know what I mean. Verse four, you are beautiful, my darling, like the lovely city of Tirzah. Yes, as beautiful as Jerusalem, as majestic, as majestic as an army with billowing banners. Turn your eyes away, for they overpower me. Your hair falls in waves like a flock of goats winding down the slopes. Of, there he goes with the goat hair again. Your, your teeth are as white as sheep that are freshly washed. Your smile is flawless, each tooth matched with his twin. Your cheeks are like rosy pomegranates behind your veil. Even among 60 queens and 80 concubines and countless young women, I would still choose my dove, my perfect one. Woo! Out of all the women in the world, I'd still choose you. So he didn't react. They recounted what was good about them and their relationship, and it led to the third thing we've got to do with conflict, seek restoration. Seek restoration. You see, I don't think we should seek reconciliation with conflict. I think we should seek restoration, and there's a difference. Restoration in the dictionary means this, the action of returning something to a former owner, a former place, or a former condition. So reconciliation means we're no longer angry at each other. Restoration means it's as if it never happened that our relationship is back to its original position. That yes, there might be scars and that yes, there might be things to overcome, but restoration brings it all the way back to what it was intended to be in the first place. Now there's some of us in the room, your whole marriage does not need restored, but parts of your marriage does. There are some of us in our church, in our marriages, that the whole intimacy part of marriage needs restored. Not reconciled, restored. There's some of us that that, that communication piece, we talked about two weeks ago, that communication needs restored. Not reconciled, restored. There's some of us in the room that our friendship as married couples needs restored. We're just roommates and we need to be friends again. So maybe your whole marriage doesn't need restored, but there's parts of marriage that needs to be restored. Be quick to listen. Stop reacting. Slow to speak. Start recounting. And slow to become angry. Seek restoration. I want to challenge us, whether you believe or not, to memorize James 1.19 this week. You can memorize it before lunch is over today. You really could. It's not that hard. It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Memorize that verse this week. And ask God to remind you of that verse, James 1, 19. And when you're in the middle of a conflict, I, I trust the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do and remind you, hey, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to to get angry, which by the way, 
without the Holy Spirit's help, we will always react. Because we are inherently selfish people. And unless I allow the Holy Spirit to live in and through me, I'll always react. But when I allow the Holy Spirit to live in and through me, I can stop reacting. If I do react, I should apologize, right? Stop reacting, start recounting, seek restoration. James 1:19, challenge you to memorize it. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. I love you guys. Let me pray for you. I'll ask you to remain right where you are. Don't start moving around just quite yet. I want to speak to a couple of important people in the room before we go. God, thanks so much for being a great God. Thanks that you give us your word that leads us into truth. And Lord, I believe what we, what we looked at today is incredibly practical for all of us just to add into our lives this resolution that we will come to a resolution with conflict. It's the only option, Lord. You want our marriages, our relationships to be whole. And so I pray, God, that we be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry in our conflict. Help us, God, by your power of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. If this message brought up something you want prayed for, please stop by the purple tent in the back of the auditorium. And we've got a prayer team that will pray for anything, literally, going on in your life. Nothing's off limits. If you're new here, uh, we'd love to see you in the living room before you go. Uh, stop by there. And then if you did come prepared to give, use those giving boxes on the, on the way out by the doors or out in the lobby. Again, I love you guys so much. See you next week for the last week of the series. You're dismissed.